We have the opportunity to literally be the people who embody transformation in our world. And if we don't think that we have that, we have lost the call of Jesus. Welcome to RezCov's first Letters to the Church, a series where we get to hear from people in all different walks of life, tell us what they would like to say to the church at this moment. And for our first interview, we're so excited to welcome Bishop Bonnie Perry. Yay. Bishop Perry is the Episcopal Bishop of Michigan and former longtime rector of All Saints Episcopal. Was it 27 years at All Saints? Incredible, which is just a mile or so up from RezCov. Yep. So welcome, Bonnie, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Oh, I'm, I'm delighted to be with you guys. Um, Rezcov has long been in my history, having been a long uh, Chicago person, and Rezcov was always one of the places that I knew was doing a lot of interesting worship and and um, has some strong ties to, to both Dave and uh, Andrew Freeman, who are both near and dear to my heart. So it's great to be with you guys. Wonderful. So our first question is kind of the get to know you question. So if you were at a party and someone asked like, who are you? What are you about? What makes you tick? How do you start to answer that? It must be an interesting question for you to answer. How do you answer it? I, I think it really depends on like what, who's at the party, right? Yeah, fair. <laughs> so I, have, I, have my, I have my geeky church world, right? Yeah. The Episcopal church. I have um, my serious sort of high-end kayaking world where I guide kayaking professionally kind of around the world and teach people how to be guides and instructors. So I can go that geeky direction or I can go the church geeky direction. Or if any dog shows up anywhere, then I'm just zoned in on the <laughs> And then I want to talk all things about dogs. So I think it really, it, it kind of depends. Um, how do you start when you're talking church geeky? How do you bring that up to people who might not be super familiar with the church or, you know, have stereotypes about it? Oh my God, there's so many stereotypes. <laughs> In some ways I try not to bring it up. <laughs> fair. To, yeah, to be fair, to not bring it up and, and then to engage people and wherever they care, like, what do you care about? And so I'm going to ask people what they care about and start chatting and and listening. And and then, you know, and if they say, you know, frequently, people will say, well, what do you do? And I'll be, and I'll say, um, well, I used to say I'm an Episcopal priest and I pastor a congregation. Now I say I'm the bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Michigan, and people have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. So they're like, oh, so where is that church? Because particularly here in Detroit, if you're a bishop, it means you pastor, uh, it means you're probably African-American. It means probably pastor a church that's like 10 times the size of most of our congregations put mm -hmm. And so they want to know where the, the church is. If they're Roman Catholic, which is what I grew up, um, yeah. then, then people, they, they're like, huh. And you <laughs> kind of settled in to listen a little bit. And I think they're listening to see if I'm going to say something that will confirm their previous sense that the church is going to um, judge them and not love them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I know that I kind of come with um, 
with a loaded piece. Uh, just it, I can, for people who don't do church, um, I'm confusing. What I know is this, I was guiding out in the Western Hebrides, the Outer Hebrides last summer in Scotland. And at the end of the week, um, this woman said to me, if I had ever known that American Christians could be like you and not like the stereotypical ones that we see on television who are always judging and critiquing people, I would have a much different perception of Christianity. Uh, mm -hmm. So I kind of feel like, A, I wasn't a bad guide, and B, maybe in just being how we are, um, that that can make a difference for folks. Yeah. I think when we live out our religious beliefs and don't talk about them, it means a lot more. But then when we do, when people do ask us, to, to proudly claim them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that, Bonnie. Um, so one of the things that we're interested in, we've just come out of this, uh, uh, we've just come out of Pride Month. Yeah. We're uh, in the midst of still ongoing countrywide protests yeah. um, around Black Lives Matter yeah. and police brutality. Yeah. Uh, we're also still in the midst of coronavirus and quarantine and in different parts of the country. And um, these are really extraordinary times marked by disruption and uncertainty and struggle for justice. And one of the, I think one of our questions and one of the things that we're wrestling with is what is, what do you see as the role of the church um, in this, in this time in particular? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's stunning. I think it's an amazing time to be a person of faith and to be in the midst of a faith community. Um, someone said, you know, it's time to start stop going to church and start being church. But I think, I think, Aaron, that what's going on is this is the time that's super porous. And because it's porous, we have the possibility to reshape and we have the possibility to reform. And, you know, you guys are good, good Protestant evangelicals. A little bit of reformation wouldn't be bad for us right now. <laughs> Um, and so I think that this is a time for the church to solidly position itself as a, um, a body that espouses and embodies gospel values. Um, not Republican, not Democrat, but gospel values. And so that we're talking about how do we examine if we're largely congregations that happen to be white, which many of the congregations of in the Diocese of Michigan are largely white congregations. Like how do we examine our white privilege? How do we examine how our structures have been riddled with systemic racism? And how do we start dealing with that? And I think that this is the time for us to do that and to do it not on political values, but again, on spiritual and gospel values. Um, love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind, your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, made in the image and likeness of God. God created them. Uh, neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, uh, slave nor free. Um, I mean, the whole to take our scriptural body and to say, this is what we have long said we valued. Now let's embody it. So I think it's a great time to church i think it's actually kind yeah. of i'm i'm fascinated by this discussion i've been thinking about this a lot of the porous nature right now and 
how that gives us so much opportunity and that idea of reforming. Mm -hmm. We're thinking a lot about that at ResCov right now, but what are some ways you think of, as you look at the church, uh, the places that give you hope that here are places we can reform, here are things we can reimagine. What are those things for you? Yeah, well, you know, there's a couple of things. There's some interesting stuff. I'm just going to plug plug that's ha- stuff that's happening in Chicago right now. Um, because that's 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 your context. There's a green lining campaign going on over in Lawndale. Um, mm-hmm. Was to the redlining campaign where you where the government limited um, people who were able to get um, uh, loans for buying houses and kept literally like you know said in this area there will be no loans and so therefore um, there's predatory lending and people of color were not able to establish wealth and to buy houses in a way that white people were able to. Right now it's a green lining campaign and I know that they're trying to put in um, a thousand homes for a thousand owners. And I know that All Saints is in the process of trying to raise 200,000. I would love to see ResCov join in and, you know, start, put our, put our money where our mouth is Mm -hmm. and say, this is what we value. And oh, by the way, here's a chunk of our money that we believe needs to go to this because it is about living out the values in our immediate context. So that gives me hope. Um, what I feel like what we're doing right now is I've, I've been leading a series of race conversations. I had a round table for people of color to tell me about issues of racism and structural racism in our diocese, in the diocese of Michigan that they've experienced. Then I did a round table for law enforcement people mm-hmm. and to say your profession is under a great deal of scrutiny and criticism. How, how does this, has this touched your soul? What do I need to know? Now, and, and in both cases, what I was hearing is stop painting us with broad swaths. Mm-hmm. Um, start hearing us as individuals. Stop discounting us. Um, and, and also saying in both ways, because actually a number of the people who showed up for my uh, uh, law enforcement roundtable were people of color who are in law enforcement and who are able to very easily just like start off by saying, this is how police practices started. In the South, it was about catching slaves, right? In the North, it was, you know, the Irish or the Italian keeping down the new next immigrants, right? In the West, it was posses. So this vigilante thing about like, this notion of taking the British law of stand your ground and then saying, I happen to be a white man and my ground, my castle is everywhere I go. So get mm. out of my way, you know, to really start to start owning that. But to also hear very clearly from people who happen to be of color, why am I discounted? Why is it I can be in a room and I can say something and that idea doesn't get heard until a white person says it? than to hear from a woman who, uh, chief of police, excuse me, um, or um, a Michigan State, um, Michigan uh, State, the university police, and saying, you know, I understood in the 70s they started hiring women so that they wouldn't hire black people. Um, but then to say, I am tired of going to church and hearing all police people painted in one broad swath. 
What does that do for me? Why are you, and I thought this is super interesting, why are you othering me? Mm. Whoa. So, uh, I mean, that's kind of going off all over the place. But that, and then the other thing that gives me hope is, oh my God, who knew that we could do all this virtual stuff? Yeah, right. Well, I mean, it's kind of hilarious. Um, and I want to let people do these amazing, amazing services, worship services, where we have not communion, but community. Mm -hmm. Similar um, root word and where people are really connecting in a time when we need to connect. Um, and so I think that just gives me hope. I had no idea we could pull this stuff off. And I'm just watching our clergy in the diocese here just nail it. Mm -hmm. but, but to be fair, Zoom sermons, friends, like <clears throat> Well, tradition, 12 minutes, they should go down to eight. For y'all, <laughs> push them back. Come, come on down to 15, friends. No uh, one's The water is fine. Right? Never, ever, ever has it ever been said. Oh, I wish that sermon had been longer. <laughs> I'm really, um, I'm trying to, I'm really intrigued by this idea of othering. And um, the, the phrase that keeps coming into my head or the word that I think it's Brian Stevenson who uses it all the time is um, the, the importance of proximity oh. um, in, yeah. that, in that idea of, of othering and, and broad swath conversation. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you have a thought on how the church, um, and maybe particularly the, the white church, but how the church um, can seek to be or hope to be more proximate to suffering to, um, and, and yeah. I, well, isn't it Aaron, isn't it, you know, people, people are, a number of folks will say to me, how do we get people to walk through our doors? And, and I just keep wanting to say, no one's going to walk inside anymore, friends. You have to go outside. And, and this was before the pandemic. But, right. you, but we have to go outside. Holiness happens outside. And then when we're in real connection with people who are outside our doors, whether they are neighbors in need or neighbors of means, whether we're connecting with them, literally listening to them, and then when someone says something, you know, when you have a conversation with someone and you're like, holy crow, that just really mattered. It would yeah. go, right? And you think, oh my God. Oh, it was God. God showed up. Holy <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. To name it and to say to that person, wow. That, you know, I, I, I kind of do the church gig. I'm kind of a person of faith. And what you just said, that was holy. Thank you. Mm. I think when we start doing that, and start naming it. Because I don't know about your folks, but Episcopalians, we're just never going to run around and tell people about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I'm sorry, we can't <laughs> do that. God bless us. We're lovely people. But we're not. <laughs> um, so, but we do, know we do know holiness. And we do know what Jesus has said and taught and how we experience that love of God in Christ. And, and when we are able to name holiness, I think people notice. And then if our lives, the, fraw, the flawed, frail human beings that we are, 
if in our lives we we show compassion for all sorts and types of people, mm-hmm. I think those folks are are going to ask us more. And then I think it's time to say, well, come with me. And then that's when we need not to commit the church's not most grievous sin, but biggest sin. I think not the church's worst sin, but the church's most predominant sin is we have bored people to death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so, so when folks do join us as people of faith for worship, it cannot be boring. Yeah. It has to be compelling. It has to be real. It has to be vulnerable. It has to be um, in conversation with what's going on. I think that's the proximate nature, Aaron, mm. with both the people and the context in which we live. Yeah, thanks so much for that. Um, we'll, we'll start wrapping up here with kind of our last question. So in the light of your vocation, um, you know, both as a longtime parish priest and now as a bishop, what do you want to say to the church at this moment? You know, just a small question. <laughs> God came into the world for just this moment, just this time. Own it. Be audacious. We have the opportunity to literally be the people who embody transformation in our world. And if we don't think that we have that, we have lost the call of Jesus. So that this is the time for us to really be on it, right? So, so friends, build a thousand homes for people in Lawndale. Yes, create ways to have meaningful conversation so we can have reparation and reconciliation. Listen to people we don't, we don't think we want to listen to. Mm-hmm. Listen and learn and love and change and then act and then stop and listen and learn and love and change and act and be so freaking audacious. Um, Right? As uh, one of our pastors here says, you know, if a, a virgin had a baby, a virgin had a baby friends, maybe we could do a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i very much appreciate that yeah (laughs) right yeah sometimes we just have such small goals i'm like really let's have fun let's have big audacious goals and let's literally literally enjoy that Mm mm-hmm Right, and so so we fell on our face. We fell on our face trying, and then get up and start again. If we're not audacious, no one's going to be. And if yeah. we actually say, you know, that you know, God and the person of Jesus Christ came into the world, I think not to dictate creedal statements, but to be in relationship with every single human being. Well, hell, it's time for us to actually like act like we believe that. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like as good a spot as any to, yeah, that's such a good word. And again, Bonnie, we are so grateful for you. It's been, you've been a sign of so much good news first up on 
uh, up further north of us and now in Michigan. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh my yeah, God. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much, Bonnie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.